0: is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 to 25 and verses 57 to 80. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decreased blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zacharias' division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at that appointed time." Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And then
1: we'll continue in verse 57. When it was time, Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name him. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of fear, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. So it's really wonderful to be with you this afternoon and I'm grateful to be here on the first Sunday of Advent because it is a very special time of year. This season of preparation is a good time to consider the hopes, desires, fears and anxieties that we have accumulated during the year, sometimes unconsciously, and to bring them to God to make space for his presence in our lives. So this afternoon, as we look over this text, let us make space for him. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the birth of your son. We thank you that we are here together as your people, waiting to hear from you. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. We pray that you'd speak to us through this text this morning, that you would help prepare our hearts and our minds to receive you in this season. That we'd be attentive to your spirit and open to your leading. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. This afternoon, we read Luke, telling of the preparations that happened before Jesus was born. It is a story about the faithfulness of God, a God who keeps his promises in difficult situations. Not only that, but a God committed to bringing salvation through ordinary people, and in surprising and unexpected ways. First and foremost, this story is about a baby, a baby who isn't born. Zachariah and Elizabeth are old and childless. They have passed from the stages of dreaming about the future, imagining their connection to the community life through a baby, and finally, the shame of barrenness has settled in. After years of waiting and hoping, part of their identity has died, knowing they cannot be parents. It seems odd then that Luke would begin his account of Jesus' birth with them. So, first we must step back and see these events in the larger context. Then we can recognize that this story shines like a lamppost on a dark path, illuminating what God has been doing and preparing us for this new act of salvation in Christ. The Old and New Testament are woven together with hundreds of promises that reveal God's character and how he is actively involved in history. When these promises are fulfilled, it builds our faith. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14:29, "I tell you before it takes place so that when it takes place you may believe." In our passage, God lets Zechariah know what he is going to do to help grow his trust in him. Not only that, he shares these promises with him as an invitation to participate and grow as a disciple in the process. Our text today is full of promises. It begins with the angel Gabriel, whose announcement echoes prophecies from the Old Testament promises that intricately connect what God has done and said he will do with what is to come. Gabriel proclaims these promises with an invitation. Zechariah gets to be a part of what God is doing. And so, these promises come with some instructions. Beginning in Luke 1:13, Zechariah or Gabriel tells Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth will have a son and he must give him the name John. Gabriel continues saying that John's birth will give Zachariah great joy and that this joy will overflow to the entire community. John will be great before the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. And accordingly, Zechariah must follow a very special diet for him. The promises continue extending and the angel says that not only the family and the community, but many people will return to God and that he will go before the people in the spirit of Elijah, to reconcile the hearts of the children with their parents and to guide the disobedient in a life of wisdom. Those are some big promises. Can you imagine how Zachariah felt when he was invited to participate in God's salvation plan? When we look at the largeness of these promises, we realize that Zachariah's participation is minimal, naming the baby and following its special diet. But nonetheless, his participation will greatly enlarge his life and the entire people of God. As I read this passage, I wondered how Zechariah might have felt at the angel's announcement. Why does he appear so surprised and caught off guard when he is a faithful priest of the Lord? Wouldn't he, of all people, be the first one to recognize and embrace this news? Why is he so slow to react? Looking at Zachariah's context, Israel had endured many challenges. They were an insignificant nation, surrounded by world powers. Over the years, empire after empire had fallen, each time sweeping the region, leaving their distinct cultures. Israel had lived conquered, dominated by foreign rulers, and were forced into exile. When they were allowed to come back, their home wasn't like they remembered it. They were in the land, but it appeared that things turned out very differently than they had imagined. Since God's last promise had been heard through the prophet Malachi, 400 years of uncertainty had passed. They are not where they want to be. And in all of this, some experienced God to be silent. What happens to us when we wait in silence? Worse still, how do we respond when God is silent and everything seems to be going wrong? Doubts settle in. Did we hear God correctly? Maybe we are alone and we have to figure this out by ourselves. Maybe God has left, or even worse, maybe God doesn't care. What are some of the thoughts that emerge for you in these painful silences? After years of silence and difficulty, it isn't surprising that hardness and doubt could have settled into Zachariah as well. The angel greets Zachariah saying, don't be afraid, your prayers have been heard. His prayer has been heard, this is good news, but it is not received. This word from the angel is like a drop of rain falling in the desert. The parched earth is too dry and cracked, and one drop doesn't have the smallest impact. The earth remains hard. One experience I have had with hard earth is from when David and I lived in El Salvador. We worked with a church involved in development, and one of the projects we did was house builds. The church had a partnership in a small town on top of a volcano, and two times a year, volunteers would come to work with the Salvadoran Church and the community to build homes in the community. And although all the houses were built in the same region, some of the earth was easy to dig in. It was lush ground, sometimes it was in the forest with mango trees around, but there were some pieces of land that were so hard they were like concrete. And I remember taking my shovel and trying to dig out these trenches with all my force and that all the force would come right back through the shovel reverberating into me. It made no impact. I think this is the sensation that Gabriel experienced when he gave the announcement to the incredulous Zachariah. All his good news flew back in his face After years of silence and waiting, it stands to reason Zachariah's soul may have become like hard, dry earth, a desert where few things can grow. We also know from verse 6 that Zachariah had faithfully done his part. He lived righteously. Perhaps his faithfulness to honor God had made his disappointments even more painful when the baby never came. What more could he do? By the time of this encounter with the angel, his hopes had died. Things were looking down, not just for his family, but the whole people of God who'd lived years in foreign dominance. The personal and societal circumstances appeared an impossible place for the promises of God to take root. Yet, we have a God who creates the universe out of chaos and breaks out streams in the desert. God's promises are proclaimed to Zachariah, precisely in his state of unbelief. But Gabriel doesn't just zap him with a magic wand and turn a pumpkin into a carriage. In this circumstance, God's salvation manifests in a slow, meaningful transformation brought about with human participation. Gabriel recognizes that the state of Zechariah's heart is not good. And this is a catalyst for the work that will be done in him. Zechariah asks for a sign, which is a pretty normal thing for an Israelite to do. Hey, we humans, we like signs. He is given the sign of silence. From the time the angel leaves his side until the birth of his son, every time he tries to speak a word, he is reminded that God is God, a God at work even when he is undetected. The fact that God reveals himself in silence had a long tradition in Israel since the time of Elijah. There is a story in 1 Kings 19 that comes right after a moment when Elijah had participated in great demonstrations of God God's power. In chapter 18 he defied the prophets of Baal in front of all of the people. He had made a three-year drought come and he prays to bring back the rain. You'd think that Elijah would be feeling pretty good but he's not. The king's wife Jezebel is after him and he is afraid. He is so scared he prays to God to die. but he begins a journey, and God sustains Elijah on this journey. And in this ancient moment, anxious moment, he is led up Mount Carmel, the very same mountain that Moses had climbed up years before. And there on that mountain, he finally rests, he's alone, and then a storm comes, a storm that breaks apart the rocks, but God is not in the storm. And then there is a terrible earthquake and a fire. But God is not in the earthquake. He is not in the fire. And when all of that is gone, Elijah hears a soft whisper, a whisper, a gentle stillness, where nothing moves and all is silent. And in this quiet, God manifests himself to Elijah at last. There is a certain aspect of God's character and power that can only be experienced in stillness when he reveals himself in intimate relationship. But the angel is merciful. He doesn't just give Zachariah one sign, he gives him two. The other sign is that of a growing belly. Watching Elizabeth in silence, for Zachariah must have been a time of healing. After so many years of barren silence, now he begins the silence of anticipation. Perhaps his posture changes into one of expectant hope for the promises of God to come to fruition. Imagine Zachariah's excitement as he sees Elizabeth's body undergo the changes of pregnancy, a baby forming in mystery There is nothing Elizabeth does to shape this baby. She can't bring it to maturity. She can't even see it. All she can do is eat and rest and wait. We have a creator God who is masterfully at work in ways we can never comprehend. God forms salvation in us and in history in the same way. He declares it His words give life. He speaks words that germinate unperceivably, starting as a foretaste of what will become evident. When John is born, a new Zechariah emerges as well. We see his full transformation in verse 63 when the town turns to him and asks Zechariah, what should they name the child? Still mute, he fervently scribbles on a tablet, His name is John. In a moment, his tongue is loosed and he is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies about the salvation that God is bringing to Israel. In Zechariah's words, known as the Benedictus, he speaks nine promises from the Old Testament. He declares what God is going to accomplish through John's life and looks forward to the Messiah. It is clear that the Zechariah Gabriel met in the temple is not the same one that receives his newborn son. He is a man that has encountered salvation and been transformed by it. Zechariah has learned how to recognize God's action in history, to discern his promises taking root in the present, and to participate in how God is shaping the future. Today, the story of salvation arrives among us. Dark, challenging, and confusing times are part of our journey of faith. We are not always in the right moment to receive God or to perceive what he is doing. This is not an obstacle for him. He is a God of comfort, meeting us right where we are. In spite of our faithlessness, he calls us and brings his promises of love into our lives. God works in many different ways, some seen, some unseen, but we can be sure that his kingdom of love and salvation is advancing. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and just like Zechariah, we are invited to participate. So let us conclude with the words of Zechariah. God, may you give the knowledge of salvation to your people and forgive our sin because of your tender mercies. May the sun rise, shine on us from on high, give light to those who are sitting in darkness and the shadow of death and guide our feet in the way of
0: peace, amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.